same in China, China, different, different stories. stories. We are the ones that found their way, way in, life. in a new life. Adopted babies, Adopted from, China. babies from China. people I speak with are finishing up work or the semester if you're in school or if you work with a school. So that happens. And I thought this was a great time and opportunity to essentially reiterate why I started this show because I think it's been about almost three years, which is a huge accomplishment because sometimes I feel like It's easier to stop doing something, but a part of it is indeed a reflection, a time to think, and also still act as a resource. So, the same China, different stories, we are the ones who found our way in a new life, was my catchy intro, and still is the same one that I continue to use, and on the line with that, the other person who is speaking on that recording when we did it is Katie, who I've talked about quite a bit. Katie is on her own journey with getting her memoir published. She finished it in the time that we, or in the time that I started this whole podcast experience, and now in the process of trying to get published and really working hard. I think it's very inspiring to see people who have a passion to share a story through writing, art, or other forms of communication and I would say podcasting would be my form, and yeah, it's also funny too, I did listen back to the first couple episodes I did, it was very interesting to listen to that and feel like, oh, my speech or my patterns, rhythm, have definitely developed a lot more since I started, so that's helpful. Getting back on track, I think, yes, speaking with adoptees, Um, speaking with people who are close to me because a part of this was to share a resource, of course, for Chinese adoptees, but also for other people who I know or other adoptees know, like our friends, our family, those who are curious and those who just need or want to hear us talk. So that's a big portion of it. And then I've said it before, but this is definitely more of like a therapeutic outlet. I mean, similar to how running is also an outlet for me. Um, Even art modeling is an outlet, but I don't speak much when I'm doing either of those other activities. And I like to sometimes share my voice and opinion because we all have them and this is one way to do it. So, yes. um, I actually am checking the email a little bit better now, but Funny enough, I just checked the email and this individual named Allie actually reached out who, Allie mentioned, working on a PhD in psychology related to adoption and the wording that Allie used, and I'd like to repeat it here, talked about about reclaiming this aspect of my identity over my life. And I thought that was really great wording because I I agree. I think that's a lot of what this is, is we as adoptees, Chinese adoptees, are talking 
finding ways to reclaiming adoption, also our identity, and not necessarily, yeah, I, I guess I have to talk with Allie more about this because I thought that wording was really helpful. Yeah, so I thought this was a good opportunity to also talk about that recent Instagram post I made. It's of drawings of my figure, myself, uh, new drawings, nude drawings that are done by artists at universities, art institutions, and mostly, yeah, universities, art institutions, some very much like drawing focus. And yeah, those are some pretty, I would say, anyway, it's vulnerable too to share these drawings because it is me. Uh, and it's not something that I've really shared before, but a way to, I guess in a way to really like own myself and my personality too. But after that, I actually got a few messages related to the art modeling, so I thought this is a good opportunity to sort of talk about it if anybody's interested. I started art modeling in 2017, so seven years ago, getting closer to the eight-year mark. And I started, I was actually working full-time for a company doing like marketing work and events, and on the side... I was working some other jobs too. I was working catering, I was doing working at like a spa, and then I was also, I think, yeah, I was working catering and I was working at a spa. And through the spa job, an arts council or arts community center in the area, I was in Maryland by the way, reached out and asked for, they needed like models who were clothed, clothed, wearing clothes for a class and I was like oh this is really interesting and I am not ashamed to admit this anymore or to <laughs> and I have to embrace I have to embrace this part because I think it kind of goes with the whole like being American too but if anybody has ever read Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants that's a series written by Ann Brashers I don't know exactly know when it was published but I read those that series when I was in elementary middle school I want to say and I was sort of intrigued by the whole concept of like the art because Lena is one of the characters one of the four girls and it takes place in Maryland by the way Bethesda and Lena actually goes to like RISD and she becomes she meets like she's an artist but she meets like an art model there and this is my long way of saying that I honestly was like this sounds like a pretty interesting concept that I would be open to trying why not but also very scary too and then go to college I never did it post-college working right after and yeah that's when I found out I applied essentially for let's be a model for this art community center yes I applied to be an art model inspired by Sister of the Traveling Pants which does have a very like as some would say white culture type thing could get more into that um, I'm not an expert on this either and I've spoken with a lot of people who um, yes yeah, so I was inspired by that book and then a good friend of mine Grace who I did actually interview on the podcast and talked about adoption early on in the first year uh, Grace was also telling me about how she did modeling at her university so she actually started doing it in college 
I was like, oh, this sounds like, okay, so you're doing it. Um, and then, yeah, the option came up. So I did it clothed. And then an artist who was at that community class said, hey, you can do this for another institution here, um, but it would be nude. Would you be interested? And I was like, you know what? Why not? And like leading up to this point, I think, yeah, I think we people, and especially women, I think are very much criticized about our appearance, our bodies, and uh, of course the whole idea of like the mirror, seeing myself in a mirror and realizing it's like I'm not white, even though I've grown up in a culture that's very much American, white is kind of the idea. Um, I'm Asian, so I think being painted or drawn by artists of all different types of backgrounds, by the way, students to people who are just interested in art and painting later on in life, whatever it may be, what they paint is what they see. Having the opportunity to see what people paint or make has been a way of like really, uh, it's a reflection. So that's what I shared in this Instagram post. But yeah, so getting into it was indeed through the Community Arts Center that, that I was near in Maryland. And if anybody's interested, I am confident, I want to say, that there's got to be an art community center near you in your city, especially if it's a bigger city, smaller cities or towns. I, I can't guarantee because I don't know that well, but usually there's like an email or a phone number that you could call and ask about, would you accept models? Somebody with new experience, I'd be new to this, let me know. I did that in Maryland for... A few years before I came up to New York, and when I came to New York, I came during the pandemic, so I think that really helped for me to get into that area, (laughs) area of work, Um, because I came to New York and I did have a full-time job as well, and then pandemic and that job, I got furloughed, wasn't working, but I was able to contact, I did exactly what I said, I emailed and I called some art schools and universities and a lot of them did ask for experience which fortunately I had so I had a resume that just shared all the years that I've been doing it where I did it and some headshots and then I had a few pictures of drawings that were done in Maryland so then I shared that and I just would go into the classes yeah I think some of them were still in person or they were starting to slowly allow in-person classes with like people masked and so that is how I got into the art modeling in New York City. So I have been at universities and art institutions all around Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. Usually requires a commute Uh, and then yeah when you work at one you just are able to add that to your resume and then share with another. So I do think You get used to the whole concept of people just drawing you and watching you and observing from, I mean, it is truly like half hour, hour to as long as like eight hours. Um, Sometimes it's long portraits and stuff that I've done over the course of like weeks. So these are, that's how the art modeling thing came to be. And yes, as I said, it is all because of Sisterhood of Traveling Pants (laughs) and finding a comfort with my own appearance, my own body, because, yeah, I think I, when I think about how I've been raised or the culture, the environment I grew up in, uh, it's very different from 
what other people see when they look at you. And I, I know this is a very familiar experience. I feel like that a lot of adoptees, transracial adoptees experience, and also a lot of uh, first-generation uh, immigrants, too, or first-generation born uh, as well. So, yeah, I think people who visit here or have been in the U.S. for a while, specifically U.S., but I'm sure this is also the case across the board in other countries, other areas, other continents. But that is how I started to do the art modeling. I, in addition to art modeling, because it is very difficult to live only on art modeling, and I will be honest that part of that has become my main income recently in the past year. But I also found work through pet care. So that's another thing I do. I got into that. I mean, it started with like watching friends, pets, and again, having that experience and having that recommendation is really what it was. I had a friend who I, who I like watched their dog when they would go on vacation, and then they offered a recommendation for one of those apps. And then word of mouth too, honestly. I was like, hey, I do pet care. I've had this much experience. The other one that I do is working with Ujacalina Jewelry. If you haven't found or seen Jacqueline Jewelry, Jacqueline is small business, woman-owned, minority business owner. Um, Jacqueline actually was in New York for a good amount of time and designs her own jewelry. Bridal jewelry is primarily how she really started and then started to create more like everyday type pieces but with like a very elegant look too. Not trying to do the whole sales pitch here. But I met Jacqueline actually through also known as Adoptee Organization that's very big here in New York City, tri-state area in the U.S. I just went to an event and then one day I ran with Jacqueline actually running. <laughs> we started talking because I was like, let's go running. Or um, like, well, she I think she was like, oh, let's I want to get back into running. And we lived near each other at the time. We did live near each other. I was like, okay, I'll take you up on it. And I actually followed through. And while we were running, that she was sharing about how she started her business. And I was like, oh, well, if you ever need help with marketing, insight, like I, I know a little bit. So that's how I became a part of like Jacqueline's team and working. Found out that I have a pretty good knack for working with her business. Uh, during the holiday season, especially in all those markets, it's it's a it definitely puts you through the ringer too and you know having done marathons it's like a whole it's like it's a marathon too that's my rant so far about modeling freelance work i can say that i saved money pretty consciously before i got to new york that i think that's just kind of like me but i would save up money and did not i had that cushion too because I did work for a little bit before four years in the corporate area so having having the income and being conscious of what I was spending allowed me to go freelance for a full year and not to say that I mean during this time of freelance I personally have discovered that organizing the stuff that you do when you're freelancing invoicing scheduling communicating with different employers essentially is 
is is valuable experience that is helpful i i would be honest to share that i also have looked at full-time positions and applied to some that i felt like really resonate too even though working freelance full-time I get a flexible schedule. Sometimes it is stressful in the way of like, where's the next gig? Am I going to have a good amount of income? Uh, And people ask me, friends have asked me how I'm doing. And some days it's very stressful. It's very hard not to get stressed about that. But so that's, that's a big overview about freelancing, I thought, and art modeling. So I enjoy it. I do think art modeling for me is it's it's an outlet as i mentioned just like running now put a little break here and afterwards i will talk a little bit about more about what i've learned and really appreciate from doing this podcast and you know kind of to add that's what my outline says Um, so break Should we share? Do we need to share? No, we don't need to share. Uh, and this is speaking more in terms of our adoption, Chinese adoptees, Chinese adopted podcast. But but speaking with people too, and I, I do think obviously because I say obviously, but to me it feels very, I take it for granted that other Chinese adoptees will open up to me because I too am a Chinese adoptee. I've spoken with a lot of transracial adoptees in the US, in Europe, because that I, I do think that's probably a good portion of where a lot of us are. And then people who don't want to share their story at all, of course I haven't spoken with them because that they're on their journey and it is one of those like I think only people who would want to talk about their adoption would wanna put it put it into a podcast and have others hear it. So um but it really had me thinking if if I wasn't a Chinese adoptee, would I be getting as genuine responses probably not but I think that's why we do these things right like we create our art we work on research or papers and areas of studies that interest us to share with others who have we come from a similar experience I mean this the whole the whole same China different stories is exactly why I have that as like the intro we don't we don't we do not owe anything to anybody to share about our adoption or the really personal aspects of our life. I mean, similar to anybody who isn't adopted, like there's, we're all entitled to what we wish to share or not share about our experiences in our life. I mean, I do think it's like nice to be able to talk to another adoptee and not have to uh, explain why we feel a certain way. And that's what communities are. So (laughs) I thought that really thinking about that was just, you know, getting into the thoughts about it. Yeah, solo recording is challenging because I feel like I'm not checking my speech as closely as I usually do. <laughs> yeah, and here's a here's another part to that is um, even, I mean, I know I just said it's really nice that people feel they can share their story and talk to me and 
go as deep as they want to when they speak with me on this podcast or not. I always like to leave that open. Uh, But I have learned as well. Also, there are moments, there are challenges, there are people amongst the community of adoptees where sometimes it's not the most positive experience. And I feel like I'm being very PC when I say it this way uh, because I, of course, don't want to really, like, throw anybody under the bus, but um, a really tough lesson I did learn is uh, some people feel entitled to, like, have ownership of something, and adoption is something that people sometimes do feel like they have ownership of. Like, the Chinese adoptee experience has ownership over certain, people feel like they have certain ownership over it, and I don't, Of course, I don't agree with that. I think there's so many of us and we all have ownership of our own experiences. But I can say from experience that human ego is a pretty tough thing to be in battle with. There's, there are people who um, do tear each other down sometimes, Uh, even amongst ourselves, amongst our own community. Uh, I'm sure this isn't like news, hopefully. Um, Some people it might be shocking. I don't know if that's the case, but even from afar, I've seen it in play, not being a part of it, Uh, and then also being a part of it, too. I I had an experience with an organization that sent an email that was saying, what you have in your intro is too similar to what we have in our, like, byline or something, and it was an email exchange back and forth. And this is my first year doing this, but I ended it. I basically had sent an email at the end that was like, listen, I'm doing this more for myself than anything. And yes, I know it is for myself. That's, don't we all do these things, create organizations, create things for ourselves to share? Uh, Because, I mean, I'm human too, obviously. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I sent that email. I was like, and I was going through, I was going through it. I mean, with family, it was still pretty raw. Like this, it was a way to process like what was going on with my family because truly at the end of it, um, sometimes it does feel like a little bit imposter syndrome to be like, I'm hosting this podcast about Chinese adoptees and I didn't start talking to Chinese adoptees until I started this podcast really. I even talked about it with Katie before I started because Katie was sharing about how it's like, oh yeah, I've I, I've, like, my family, there's people in my family who are adopted, we've really talked about it, um, even connecting with, like, other Chinese adoptees, she had already been connected to the community, so it was just, like, or different aspects of the community, so, yeah, there's a little bit of, like, okay, I think we all, I don't know, I, I, it's, it's tough sometimes to, like, not, and even in our own community, it's tough sometimes not to feel, like, there's like some sort of competition or ownership and I personally hope that I don't make others feel like they can't do something um, or can't take ownership of their own story. I really hope people feel they can take ownership of their own stories, uh, especially their own adoption experience. I really enjoy hearing about other people's experience. I mean, that's primarily why this has been like an interview format and it's challenging sometimes to like schedule or find people who like to interview. So that's all a repeat of what I was saying earlier. Um, but 
yeah, I think, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and we keep doing what we want to do. Yeah, but I can say really uh, kind of like rounding this out now, ending on the note of like it's been, it has been really insightful talking with other adoptees uh, and then other people who, uh, that I know, I've been talking with them too and hearing their experience with adoption and it's, you know, it's like seeing, seeing the art that's created, seeing these papers, these like research papers and focuses and uh, studies about adoption in connection to nature or the environment uh, in a scientific way, in a subjective way, is like a, it's really amazing to see how people have really connected or found ways to, as Ali mentioned, reclaim, and I believe other people have said it too, but it was a nice reminder, but reclaiming our adoption and reclaiming this identity as a part of our life. Because, I mean, new life is what I say. And I mean, I feel like that's the small, the shortest way to really sum up how like, yeah, as adoptees, we have been brought into a new life. Um, whether, whether it be intentional or non-intentional, because uh, there are aspects of part of this where it's like, um, you know, some, some, I don't know, some families didn't mean or didn't want to uh, lose a daughter or son or child of that matter, but here we are. So I really hope, I and I, I think my memory just is not as, <laughs> as strong, is um, speaking with so many people, really trying to, trying to stay connected with everybody that I have met on this journey of podcasting, and hope, and seeing, actually really seeing others connect to each other, uh, not necessarily as a result of this podcast, but um, it is really cool to hear uh, how people get an opportunity to hopefully connect with one another. There are a lot of resources out there for Chinese adoptees, international adoption, transracial adoption, many between social media and organizations in your area. Um, I guess kind of like art modeling. <laughs> uh, okay, I don't know if that's true. But thank you for taking the time to listen to this solo episode. It has been... Yeah. <laughs> In summary, I, I'm glad that I, I personally am really glad that I have an outlet like this to voice and articulate thoughts the best I can. Organizing, scheduling, invoicing, what I do from day to day for work and income, it's really useful skills. Um, but so is this, so is being able to have this podcast. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, here for here for here's a resource and i hope and continue to keep talking to chinese adoptees chinese adoptees because that's what we do it for and yeah but thanks again i hope you have a good day night wherever you are you can reach me at adopted babies from china pod on instagram and facebook adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com yes I will get better about checking that email most of the time it's usually just junk um, but I do think people do <laughs> but if you email that's awesome if you Instagram even better 
uh, Facebook do. 